right, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So good to be with you. We are uh, in week four of a four-week sermon series on healthy conflict. Conflict is key. I'm not sure if you all are aware of this, but your pastoral team, when we preach, you should know that we have to like live them. You know what that might mean for a sermon series like conflict is key, how to have healthy conflict. Someone asked me this morning, how was your week? I was like, well, I'm preaching on conflict. How do you think it went? <laughs> My name is Lisa Rodriguez Watson. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you with us this morning. I heard a parable recently uh, that I thought, hmm, that's actually really helpful. It's a parable that may be familiar to you. I'm going to have to scoot up because I'm feeling very squeezed here between the podiums. It's a parable that may uh, be familiar to you. It's my first time hearing it. Um, it's the lumberjack parable. Anybody ever heard the lumberjack parable? No? Okay, completely fresh audience. Awesome. Uh, the lumberjack parable goes like this. There were two lumberjacks who worked in the forest together, chopping down trees as lumberjacks do. Um, every day they started working at the same time and they also quit working at the same time every day. Day in and day out, they chopped down trees in the forest. One lumberjack worked tirelessly, chopping and chopping and chopping and chopping, essentially without breaks. I mean, every now and again, he would take a break. He was amazing uh, because he just chopped tree after tree after tree. On the other hand, the second lumberjack would work very hard each morning and each afternoon, except that every single day he took a break for an hour. The really amazing thing is that at the end of the day, they had chopped the same amount of trees. Now, the busy lumberjack, he was like, too busy really to care about why they chopped the same amount of trees. He was just busy chopping trees. Until one day when he was like, every day you do the same amount of trees as I do, but you get an hour break. What do you do? And the wise lumberjack said, oh yeah, I take a, I take a break every day and I do something that's very, very important. And even more curious, the busy lumberjack was like, okay, so what's that really important thing? And the wise lumberjack said, I go away and I sharpen my ax. This series about healthy conflict is how we've been sharpening our ax. Now, don't get the metaphor wrong. We're not trying to chop each other down. <laughs> what we're trying to do is take down things that keep us stuck in unhealthy patterns in our relationships, especially when it comes to conflict. Healthy community and healthy relationships really are critical aspects of our lives. So, like I said, we've been in this series on healthy conflict as a way of sharpening our axes. As followers of Jesus, we want others to experience the goodness and the love of God through us. And engaging in healthy forms of conflict is a way by which we do that. So let's, let's continue to sharpen our axes. Um, 
of healthy conflict so, so that we can take down the things that would take us out in our, in our good relationships. Every week, um, as we have done, I want to name that I'm a pastor. I'm not a therapist. So I have received pastoral counseling. I have received some therapy. I have an undergraduate degree in psychology. Anybody else in the room? You know, okay, good, one. Um, that might mean almost nothing. <laughs> there are others who are more educated and informed in the fields of psychology and interpersonal relationships and conflict. Uh, one great example is Garden City Center. We're hosting that workshop tomorrow night. You should definitely sign up. It's on Zoom. If you've got the time, like definitely take advantage of that. It's free and it's a way of us providing a resource to you to help um, equip you to have healthy relationships. So uh, you can RSVP on that, you know, link that's there. Awesome. Um, so I said we, we're in the fourth of four weeks of this series, Conflict is Key. Um, we're rounding out today. The first week, Pastor Matthew reminded us that conflict holds the possibility of and an invitation to deeper intimacy. In fact, healthy conflict is a key to deeper intimacy because deeper intimacy is moving toward being fully known and fully loved. The second week of our series, we talked about boundaries, forgiveness, and reconciliation, three things without which relationships and community cannot be healthy, cannot be life-giving. Last week, Pastor Justin reminded us that the best way to engage in conflict in order to cultivate healthy relationships is to be healthy ourselves. Today, I'm going to focus on three principles for healthy conflict. As you know, they come from the book of James, uh, just one verse. And actually, that verse may not be about interpersonal conflict. When you read it in context, it's not describing a conflict that anybody had. But the thing about it is, is that I think that there is wisdom here for what we're talking about. So, um, so I went ahead and thought, yeah, we're, gonna, we're just going to tackle it with these three in that one verse. Um, James, for a bit of context, is the author of the book of James, and James is believed to have been Jesus' brother. Um, James has really interesting things to say throughout the book about what true religion is, about the importance of not just hearing something, but putting it into practice so that we can actually be free from, from things in our life that hold us back, that keep us, um, yeah, that keep us bound. Um, he talks about how to navigate trials and temptations. He warns against favoritism in our communities. He names in this chapter, in, in chapter four, um, he names that the things that cause quarrels and fights among us, quarrels, we don't really use that word very often, um, fights and quarrels among us is our desires, namely when we don't get what we want. Guilty. When I don't get what I want, that doesn't always go the best. Um, I'm guessing that as Jesus' brother, he had a pretty up-close and, and personal view of how Jesus navigated conflict. So when he gives helpful principles like the ones that we're taking a look at today, well, I figure, let's pay attention. Let's take a deeper look. 
Uh, before getting into the passage and its principles, I think it's important to give a little bit of context about uh, my own growing up experience with conflict. My parents split up when I was four, maybe, um, so I don't have a lot of memories of them being together and navigating through conflict. Uh, after they split up, there was a good deal of chaos and toxic conflict during my growing up years. My way of dealing with that was um, to try and keep everyone happy, to just kind of keep the peace. I would rarely make my needs known. In fact, as I think back on it, I'm like, did I even know what my needs were? Because I was so attuned to the needs of everybody else in my family. So um, I was actually like the easy one. <laughs> that's, that's how folks kind of referred to me. Problems never got to me. In fact, I remember taking real pride in my mom saying um, about me to someone one day, nothing gets to her. Like everything just rolls off of her back. She's so easygoing. Meanwhile, I was suffering from migraines as a seven-year-old kid. So it wasn't that easy, and things didn't just roll right off my back. I grew up fearing conflict, and as I got older, I avoided it as much as possible. And I am learning to outgrow that. That's an unhealthy way of navigating conflict and relationships. Um, it's still a challenge for me, but I am more convinced than ever that healthy conflict can lead to better relationships and deeper intimacy. And I now have tools to help navigate through when things get tough. So that's a little bit about me. Um, so back to the passage, James 1.19, it says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We'll take the three points, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry one by one. And we'll talk first about what each of them is not. And I'm going to give you a little warning. At one point, I'm going to ask you for feedback. So I'm preparing you. Um, we'll talk about what each of them is not, and then we'll talk about what it is. Uh, there are three things. So the first one is quick to listen. Everyone should be quick to listen. What it is not. All right, it's not simply hearing, all right? When my kids were little, I was the master of this, all right? If you've been around little kids who are verbal, you realize they have a lot of words. And they talk, and they tell stories, and they keep talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And I was the master of simply hearing. One of my kids would launch into a story, and I would hear them, and occasionally I would give the, um, uh-huh. And then they would keep going and going. And I wanted them to think that I was listening. That's not listening. That's hearing. I was simply hearing them. I could hear them, but not listen. So when we talk about we should be quick to listen, what, what we don't mean is simply hearing. As adults, we do this sometimes too. Um, have you ever been in a conversation where you get the sense that the other person is, is not listening? Like maybe they're not making eye contact or their body posture is maybe a little closed. You might say to that person, 
I get the sense you're not listening. And then they might just parrot back the last five words that you've said. <laughs> Been there, okay, yes. Um, but still, you don't get the sense that they're understanding. Yeah, sure, they can say the last five words that you've said, but you get the sense that they don't understand you. Parroting back words to someone simply indicates that you're just hearing. You're hearing them, but not necessarily listening to them or really caring about their problem. So an example, um, real life, real life example. November of 2021, I get a phone call one day, late afternoon. It's Elias's school. Uh, the, the, the PE teacher, the coach or somebody, uh, was on the other end of the line. Hi, Mrs. Watson. Um, I, Elias had an accident today at school. I'm pretty sure he's broken his pinky. Um, he's kind of okay, but you're probably gonna wanna get it x-rayed. And I thought, okay, what? Okay, if he's fine, I'm fine, that's okay. Um, so I picked him up from school, end of the day, and sure enough, I mean, it was, it was swollen and he couldn't move it. So, um, I call the urgent, I call my insurance company. I, I didn't have great insurance at the time. Um, I call my insurance company to find out what, what urgent care can I go to. There's not a single urgent care in DC that was in my network. So now I got to drive out to Virginia during rush hour traffic to get to an urgent care that's closing in an hour. Um, we get out there, they x-ray, oh sure enough Mrs. Watson, it's broken. However, it's very close to the joint. So we're gonna send you to a pediatric emergency room so that they can do further x-rays and have a better look at it and then give some treatment from there. And I said, okay, no problem. Please, can you make sure the hospital is in my network? Cause we know what happens when it doesn't go that way. Um, I go to the hospital that they suggest. I get there, give them all my stuff. Elias gets treated several months later. I get the bills. Guess what? Not in the network. <laughs> Except that my app told me, my insurance app told me that they were. And so it was this big long fight, call after call after call with the hospital, call after call after call with the insurance agency and the customer service people would hear me, but not listen. As customer service agents are trained to do, they could parrot back to me exactly what I had just, oh, Mrs. Watson, we understand that your problem is that you have a billing issue. Thank you for calling us. We're here to help and be no help. <laughs> Simply hearing is not the same thing as listening. So when we have counsel in the passage to be quick to listen, what it doesn't mean is simply hear. All right, here's another thing that it's not. You're in a conflict with another person and they're explaining to you what they're so upset about. Quick to listen is not formulate your argument and wait for the opportunity to just launch back at them immediately. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I have been guilty of this at times and I have to work to resist it, especially when my anxiety level is really high and I'm really worked up. I can hardly wait to get the next words out of my mouth and I'm listening for the sound of silence so I know it's my turn to really go. 
Now, that's not my norm. I'm just going to say that's not my norm. I'm more of like a pullback, be real quiet, shrink. Um, but I have had this experience. And I have had the experience, you know, done to me. Um, quiet waiting and bidding our time and planning the next thing that you're going to say is not what it means to be quick to listen. I think that's more like be quick to plan your response. James doesn't offer us any such counsel about quick responses in this passage. What he instead encourages us to is to be quick to listen. So, well, if it's not simply hearing and it's not simply planning a quick response, then what is it? Well, I think it's probably best summarized as listening for understanding. Listening for understanding. Um, I listened to a podcast uh, called Managing Leadership Anxiety. Uh, it's on the Missio Alliance. I, I, I work for Missio Alliance. And it's on the Missio Alliance platform. Steve Cuss is the podcaster uh, of Managing Leadership Anxiety. He wrote the book by that same title. He's a pastor and a spiritual care professional. And he said this on a recent podcast episode I was listening to. All people want is to feel seen, heard, and understood. Most people don't actually need their problems solved. All people want is to feel seen, heard, and understood. That's the goal. Parroting back, which I mentioned just a second ago, is very different than reflective or active listening. In reflective listening, you, you reflect back sort of like a paraphrase of what you have heard. This is what it means to listen for understanding. And when you, when you respond and reflect back what you've heard, you can ask, did I get that right? Do you feel like that I've understood you? Being able to paraphrase, though, is, is not the only way to listen for understanding. Because the truth of it is, is that verbal communication is really only a minority of our communication. Right? Some folks would say that it's somewhere between 70 and 93% of our communication is nonverbal. So listening for understanding includes listening to the words, but it also includes paying attention to the body language, reading what they're saying through their body and listening to what they're saying through their body, looking for cues of how another is feeling by paying attention to their body language their movements. Um, one of the practices that Matthew and I have when, when we're in conflict, which is almost never, uh, <laughs> and we're getting to, towards the end, we've made our way mostly through, one of the practices that we have is to ask the questions, do you feel heard? Do you feel understood? And then I recently heard of a third question that I think is also a really good tool. Is there anything more you'd like me to understand? Do you feel heard? Do you feel understood? Is there anything more that you would like me to understand? That's what it means to be quick to listen. Reflective, active listening, paying attention to the words, paying attention to the emotions in the body, and then asking, did I get it right? Do you feel heard? Do you feel understood? So that's the first principle, be quick to listen. The second principle is be slow to speak. 
All right, I warned you, I'm gonna ask for your participation. What is be slow to speak not? Okay, so I'm looking for examples of what it's not. Be slow to speak, what is it not? Anyone? Avoiding expressing yourself. Excellent. What is it not? Interrupting. Interrupting. Excellent. What is it not? Quick solutions. Yes. Good. Good. Anyone over here? Say that louder. Giving a monologue. Giving a monologue. Yeah. Planning what you're going to say next. Planning what you're going to say next. Yeah. Slow to speak. No? Good singers, not, not good sharers in the sermon? It's okay. No problem. <laughs> they took them all. Okay, here, here's what it's not. I think this one is funny, and it's funny, not funny. Let me say it real slowly for you so you understand. <laughs> not that. Really, don't, don't do that. Um, you will immediately insult and uh, infuriate the person that you're in conflict with, so highly do not recommend. Um, what else is it not? Justin referred to this thing last week called turtling. I love that image where you just boop, come inside your shell, I'm protecting me. Like you minimize what Paul said, you don't express your emotions, you shut down, try and conserve energy, take on passive aggressive behaviors like giving the cold shoulder or the silent treatment, sulking. These are things that slow to speak are not. We've experienced them. Maybe we're guilty of them sometimes. Maybe it takes a lot of energy for us to engage in conflict and not withdraw. That's typically me. But that's not what James wants us to know about what it is to be slow to speak. I, I, pulled, I pulled the audience in my car the other morning when I was with Nate and Annalise, uh, and I said, what do you think it is to be slow to speak? And Annalise came back with a really great response. She said, it's being thoughtful about your response. And I thought, yes, you're a very wise child. Um, another way to say it is to, to be not reactive. All right, and I'm going to use that word a little bit here coming up. Uh, now, can it be challenging? Yes. Can it be difficult? Yes. Is it okay to disagree? Of course. But the challenging and difficult things that we say in a conflict, it's always going to come across better if we say it with kindness and, and if we're motivated by love. So, another Annalise story. Um, I don't think it was that same morning. I was in the car with her, and um, this was the last, believe it or not, the last week of DCPS. Uh, so she wanted to volunteer at her former school. She had asked previously, um, and I had said, I just don't think so. Things are a little tense over there, and I don't know how I'm going to get you there, and so on and so forth. So I had said no, essentially. Um, but it was really important to her. The morning that she wanted to do it, the last day of DCPS school, I had already taken Nate for his driver's test, the road test. So 
So that was an hour and a half. And then I'm driving him all the way up to school because I wasn't ready for him to drive himself, even though he already has his license. Um, I, I took him up to school. She was in the car. Mom, can you, and this is what we're talking, I live in Southeast Cleveland Park, okay? So that's a long ways away. Um, Mom, can I volunteer at my school today? It's the last day of school. And I was like, boy, I can't. I've already done an hour and a half with Nate. Today is Elias's birthday. Getting you home, getting you back, then going to pick you up. I have a meeting, I have a book club. I'm really sorry, I can't, Annalise. And Annalise is very persistent. Um, Matthew was at the doctor, so we weren't sure when that was gonna be over with. And I gotta tell you, every single obstacle I put up in the way, she had a solution for. She's like, oh no, that's fine, I can figure that out. And she would present a solution. And truly, I became irritated. <laughs> I was noticing my reactivity. My instinct was to just shut her down and tell her I was tired of her persistence. Stop asking. <laughs> but instead, I paid attention to my emotions. I took a breath and I found a way to say something that was positive. Annalise, I told her, um, you're a great problem solver. Uh, I admire that about you. The way that you're persisting tells me that this means a lot to you. I'm becoming tired, <laughs> I told her, of telling you all the reasons why it can't work. Unfortunately, you're just not going to be able to do this today. I'm sorry. I know this is disappointing. Please stop asking and offering new suggestions. It was thoughtful, it was kind, it was clear, and there was some difficult stuff for her to hear in there. This is what it can look like to be slow to speak. The third principle for healthy conflict is to be slow to become angry. Again, um, what it's not, I thought this was a great image of what slow to become angry is not. It's coming. Did we get it? Oh yeah, there it is. Okay, great. Um, slowly but surely making your way to this dynamic right here, right? When you're both yelling and no one is listening to anyone. James isn't suggesting that we get here eventually, but that we just do it slowly. Right? That's not it. This is an image of unhealthy conflict and is what we're actually trying to avoid. Slow to become angry is also not thinking that anger is wrong. My growing up years taught me that anger is wrong and bad because bad things happened when people got angry. Anger is not wrong. Anger is an emotion that has an important place in our lives. The Bible talks about God's anger. We see Jesus angry numerous times throughout the gospel. He calls religious leaders broods of vipers and whitewashed tombs. Jesus clears the temple when he sees that people, the poor, are being exploited and folks are being kept away from worshiping God. He was angry about that. Anger and love can often coexist. In the presence of injustice or wrongs done, deep emotion and anger is absolutely appropriate. 
it signals a deep love for a thing or a person or a group of people. And what we need to keep in mind is that the level of anger should match the level of the issue. Anger is not wrong. But what the scripture teaches is that we should be slow to become angry. I watched um, the movie Inside Out recently. It's, a, it's an older animated film. And as I was preparing, I was thinking, oh man, this is, this is actually a really great clip, um, a really great movie for our series. The character's name, there's an 11-year-old girl. Her name is Riley. Um, she had a great growing up life until at the age of 11 when her parents moved her uh, to, from Minnesota to San Francisco. Um, there are five main emotions in Riley's life and those of her parents. They are joy, anger, disgust, sadness, and fear. Um, up to this point, joy has run the show. She manages every other emotion in the atmosphere. Um, she works relentlessly to make sure that Riley is happy, silencing the other emotions and redirecting them. At one point, after Riley has just moved to San Francisco, she takes sadness and says, sadness, here, come over here. I have a very important job for you to do. Draws a circle and says, stand right here. Don't touch anything. Don't go anywhere. She's managing sadness and all of the other emotions. That's joy. Well, um, as she's trying to manage the emotions, she and sadness get into a real tussle at one point and ac accidentally get jettisoned out of headquarters, way out of the whole mix of things. And so disgust, fear, and anger are left to run things. Riley has just come home from her first day at school, which didn't go too well. Um, and so that brings us to the point in the clip. Acting so weird. Why is she acting so weird? Well, how do you expect? All the islands are down. Joy would know what to do. That's it. Until she gets back, we just do what Joy would do. Great idea. Anger, fear, disgust. How are we supposed to be happy? Hey, Riley, I've got good news. I found a junior hockey league right here in San Francisco. And get this, tryouts are tomorrow after school. What luck, right? Hockey. Uh-oh, what do we do? Guys, uh, this, uh, here, you, you pretend to be Joy. Wouldn't it be great to be back out on the ice? Oh, yeah, that sounds fantastic. What was that? That wasn't anything like Joy. Uh, because I'm not Joy? Yeah, no kidding. Did you guys pick up on that? Uh-huh. Sure did. Something's wrong. Should we ask her? Let's probe, but keep it subtle so she doesn't notice. So? How was the first day of school? She's probing us. I'm done. You pretend to be Joy. What? Okay. Um, hmm. It was fine, I guess. I don't know. Oh, very smooth. That was just like Joy. <laughs> Something is definitely going on. She's never acted like this before. What should we do? We're going to find out what's happening, but we'll need support. Signal the husband. Ahem. Uh-oh, she's looking at us. Uh, what did she say? What? Oh, oh, sorry, sir. No one was listening. Is it garbage night? Uh, we left the toilet seat up. What? What is it, woman? What? <sighs> He's making that stupid face again. I could strangle him right now. Signal him again. Ah, so, Riley, how was school? Oh, are you kidding me? For this, we gave up that Brazilian helicopter pilot? Boo, I'll be Jewel. 
School was great, all right? Riley, is everything okay? <sighs> Sir, she just rolled her eyes at us. What is her deal? All right, make a show of force. I don't want to have to put the foot down. No, not the foot. Riley, I do not like this new attitude. Oh, I'll show you attitude over No, here. no, 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 stay happy! What is your problem? Just leave me alone. Sir, reporting high levels of sass. Take it to DEFCON 2. You heard that, gentlemen? DEFCON 2. Listen, young lady, I don't know where this disrespectful attitude came from. You want a piece of this, Pops? Come and get it! Yeah, well, well... Here it comes. Prepare the foot. Keys to safety position. Ready to launch on your command, sir. That's it. Go to your room. Now. Foot is down. The foot is down. Good job, gentlemen. That could have been a disaster. That was a disaster. All right, so yeah, lots going on there. Lots of reactivity, good bit of anger. The dad at the end, which I think we, we may have missed in the audio, dad was like, well, that could have been a disaster. The mom goes, well, that was a disaster. <laughs> Lots of analysis could come from, from this clip, but what I want us to focus on is what it means to become, what it means to be slow to become angry. Um, I, have, I have three things that I'm going to quickly share with you. Um, and it comes from this, this uh, Managing Leadership Anxiety, Steve Cuss. Um, that I think will help us um, know what it means to be slow to anger. Um, the first one is managing our reactivity. All right, managing our reactivity. The mom is picking up on Riley's reactivity. Hey, wow, that's different. What do maybe we'll probe? She wonders how to respond. She probes, gets more concerned. She signals the husband and has feelings of anger at his lack of awareness. Did you catch that? Um, but she manages her reactivity and signals him again, <clears throat> you know. Um, what does it mean to manage our reactivity? I think it's this. I think it's to notice when we are anxious or becoming agitated or irritated or impatient. One of the things that, that anxiety or reactivity does is that it numbs our awareness, okay? Numbs our awareness. It makes us reactive. One of the opposites of reactivity is awareness. So when we learn to notice that we're being overcome by anxiety and reactivity, we can welcome this and actually allow it to be the thing that connects us to God. Okay, so we have to notice our own emotions. Um, another way of saying it or thinking about it is to learn to notice when you've stopped noticing God. Learn to notice when you've stopped noticing God. Again, anxiety and reactivity keeps us apart and makes us numb to our own awareness. So try and cultivate awareness. Last Sunday, after experiencing some long days of challenging conflict, a friend um, sent me a text message that I responded to right here in the parking lot to remind me to connect to God in the midst of conflict. I acknowledged to her that it was easy for me at times to get so wrapped up in my own worries and my troubles and my fears that I struggle to be open-hearted to God. Um, it's like I feel small and protective of myself, and I forget that God is like, I'll be your refuge and your strength and your ever-present help in a time of trouble. I'm your protector. And here's the thing. 
I could feel shame about that and be like, dude, I've been a pastor for how many years and a Christian for how many before that? And I could feel shame about that. But the truth of it is, is that God isn't sitting around going, how could you again and again and again? No, God is not surprised. He knows my struggle and he loves me. So it's important to be kind to ourselves and to remember that we are human-sized and that we should be at least as kind to ourselves as God is to us. We should be at least as kind to ourselves as God is to us. We can notice when we're getting reactive and work in the moment on managing our reactivity so that it doesn't spill out onto other people. All right. Quickly, second, learn not to, so the first is uh, manage your reactivity. Second, learn not to catch someone else's reactivity. That's, that can be really tricky. Um, Riley and the dad, wow, reacting to each other big time, right? They were, they were very reactive. Um, some people tend to catch the reactivity of others. I, I am like that. Um, I have a hard time being okay when there's conflict around me or when I'm in conflict with others. Uh, what I'm learning is to give that person the space to feel all of their emotions, all of their anxiety, all of their things, and to be okay myself. It's okay where I am. It's okay where they are. Um, I'm not going to catch their anxiety. They can generate as much reactivity as they want, but I'm going to be okay where I am, because I'm managing me. All right, so if we, can, if we can find a way to learn not to catch someone else's reactivity, that will help us to be slow to anger. Finally, if we want to be slow to anger, we work to emotionally connect to ourselves, to God, and to that other person, all right? Um, so some questions for connecting to yourself. What's going on in me? What am I feeling? How am I acting? What am I believing? Um, a way to be emotionally curious and connect to yourself is to ask a kind question. What assumptions have I caught? Um, I have, if you were present for our Truth and Lie series, I preached a whole sermon on like my biggest lie that I navigate, which is I'm not good enough. And so when I am in a situation where someone has something that they want me to do or say or be, I immediately want to respond by bending towards them, bending to what they want, not necessarily because I want to be helpful, but because I can't stand the feeling of not being good enough. I'm bending towards their anxiety. And I have to know the truth. And the truth is that I can't be everything to everyone. God can be that. That's God's job, be everything to everyone. So um, it's important for me to tell the truth to myself, to recognize where this is coming from, and to understand the assumptions that I'm living into. And then, in that moment, then I can actually connect to God and remind myself, Jesus died so I don't have to worry about being good enough all the time. I can't be God in all things to all people. That's God's work. And I can say a simple prayer like, Lord, would you just remind me that you're here with me right now? Remind me that I don't have to manage anybody else. I'm here in your presence. I can acknowledge and hear you even in this really hard situation. And then the last thing is work to connect to the other person. I'm here with you. 
I know this is really hard. This is a hard conversation. We've been having hard conversations. I'm not going anywhere. And connect to that other person. It's a lot, folks. Three, three, and three. It's a lot. Um, but uh, I hope that it has been helpful. James gives us really wise counsel. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Be slow to become angry. These are helpful principles for, for cultivating healthy conflict. They're certainly not the only ways, um, but if we put them into practice, which is what the book of James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. Um, if we put them into practice, we will live into greater freedom. Just, just as the last reminder, we've been so intentional about mentioning every week that conflict can be a really good thing. It can be, um, so long as we navigate it in healthy ways. It can lead to greater intimacy. It can, lead her to, it can lead us to greater depth of relationship with God and provide us with an opportunity to be further shaped in the likeness of Jesus. Now, there's no promise that it will be easy, right? But if we stay connected to ourselves, if we stay connected to the people in our lives, if we stay connected to God, then it will have been worth it. Let me pray for us.